You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So as we come together each Sunday, as one people to hear God speak, our identity, our identities are reoriented through this liturgy. Our worship gatherings become a sort of rehearsal uh, for life lived in God's presence the other six days of the week as the gospel speaks to us and through us as the Spirit works within us and among us. So our worship gatherings seek to nurture a faith that leads us away from working for God and then working with God. Not working for, but with. Participating with what God is doing in the world, in our lives. And in our American culture where absolute truths are suspicious, where almost any moral and social issue can be turned against another, we learn to discern the presence of Christ at the table. We learn to discern the presence of Christ and His reign and His inbreaking kingdom in all places at the table. God's governance governance at work within us here at the table, if we think through the table. So every week we gather, if you're visiting with us, we come to the table, and we normally come to the table after a message is given. Because we have found that the best place to learn how to submit our lives to one another and then to the reign of Christ is here at the Eucharist. And so I offer you the words of Jesus. Gospel of Luke and how he records where this supper was first instituted. When the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with Him, and then He said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again, read this with me, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then He took a cup, and after giving thanks, He said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I tell you, from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine, read it with me, until the kingdom of God comes. It's important. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them and said, My body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant established by my blood. It is shed for you. But look, the hand of the one betraying me is, read it with me, at the table with me. For the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And so they began to argue among themselves which of them it could be who was going to do this thing. This new covenant meal was instituted during an old covenant meal called Passover, right? And Passover was a meal practiced by the Jews that reminded them of their deliverance from the slavery of the Egyptian empire. They were making bricks for Pharaoh. And this was a meal designed by the Lord to engage all five senses, including the heart, mind, and soul. And in their deliverance, the Lord saved them by requiring each Hebrew family to cover the doorpost and the lintels of their houses with the blood of a pure, innocent, sacrificial lamb, for which then they were to celebrate and eat at a special dinner before the Lord. And in this terrible moment of judgment, under the cover of darkness, the Lord withdraws and persists protection of all humanity and allows a deadly plague throughout the land of Egypt in judgment of Egypt's 
oppression and idolatry and disobedience. And this plague kills the firstborn male of every Egyptian family as well as the firstborn male of all the livestock. And the only way for the Hebrew people to escape this was to do as the Lord commanded through Moses and trust Him. The only way they would escape is to practice this meal and trust Him that what He said about what was going to happen is true. And somehow, in some way, this sacrificial lamb, the blood of this sacrificial lamb, would be seen by the eyes of God and He would pass over them. The judgment and the death would pass over them. Jesus takes this meal. And in a way, He repositions the historical promise of this meal. He places it in a future moment that is designed to change the present moment because the future will be forever changed and the past will be forever had dealt with. When Jesus says, the blood that's going to be put over your doorposts of your life is going to be my own. And this meal that you're going to celebrate will be the same kind of meal that captures all five senses, designed to be taken in community. So that as a community, you'll remember what it is I've done to deliver you from the oppression of the reign of sin and death. Egypt becomes a symbol of the reign of sin and death. The sacrificial lamb becomes a symbol of the sacrificial lamb that is Jesus. The blood of the lamb becomes the symbol of the blood of Christ. And the doorpost and the lentils become a symbol of our own lives. And notice that in the Hebrew narrative, he didn't save individuals, he saved a people. And in saving the people, he gets the individuals. The order makes the difference. And Jesus says something unique about this meal. He says in this text that, I'm going to take it again when the kingdom comes. Well, when is the kingdom, has the kingdom come? Yes, not in its fullness, but has the kingdom broken into the world? Yes, in the resurrection of Jesus, the kingdom, the reign of God is broken into the world. So you know what that means then? Every week we take it, who's taking it with us? Jesus. Somehow, in some way, by faith, in the mysterious workings of God and in the words of Jesus based on a promise He makes, He is with us at the table. This is not just a symbol anymore. It never really has been. Not if you take these words to heart. Christ is with us somehow in some way. Now, churches have argued over what it means. Is He literally in the bread? Is He, is he like, does the bread become the body of Jesus? Does the cup become the actual blood? The church has argued and, and debated over this. And, and i got to tell you, I'm not smart enough to sort that out. And the church has not really sorted that out either. Here's what I'm good settling in. Christ is somehow, by faith, mysteriously with us every time we come to this table in a unique and beautiful and special way. He is with us. That means all that we are and all that we aren't is accepted by Christ at the table. That means we don't come to the table to work for anything. We come to the table to receive. We don't come to the table to take. We come to the table with open hands to receive. Now, I want you to look at the text. Who sat with Jesus at the table? Come on. 
the disciples, but who was among them? His enemy. Jesus shares his table with his enemy. Jesus didn't ask Judas to get up and go, did he? That's not how any of the narratives work. Jesus doesn't say, hey, before we do this, there's one here who's going to betray us. I know who you are. Leave. What do we learn about the table? That everybody's welcome to the table. Because if the enemy betrayer of the Son of God is welcome at the table, then why would you and I ever try to police the table? Because while we were still enemies, as Paul would say, Christ received us into his life. There is nothing you and I are ever going to do to earn our spot at this table. We always get tripped up on Paul's words when he talks about the Eucharist, don't we? Now, real quick, some of you are new and you may not be familiar with the language of Eucharist. We've called it Lord's Supper. We call it communion. We call it Eucharist. We call it all three. I'll tell you why I like the word Eucharist because Eucharist is actually a biblical word. It's actually in the 1 Corinthians 11 text. Eucharistes, which means give thanks. This is a table of thanksgiving. So when Paul says that we come to the table of thanksgiving, he says table of Eucharist. But we get tripped up on Paul's language of taking in a worthy manner. So let me, let me just say, who's really worthy of the table of God? Like, can any of us really be worthy? Matter of fact, I would be concerned about any of us who think we're worthy, right? Like, God, you get me. I get to come to your table. No, none of us are worthy. So then we have to remember that what Paul's talking about there is a context where the church had turned the Eucharist into a table of selfish practice, where drunkenness was happening, where they were having a feast before the meal that was actually good, but they weren't doing the feast right. They were eating what they wanted to when they wanted to at the disregarding of the poor. If you read 1 Corinthians 11, you see that they were disregarding the people among them and, le- and then finishing that disregard at the table. And Paul was like, that's unworthy. That doesn't capture the spirit of the text. So then what is the table? Well, the table then is to move us toward Eucharistic living. It's to move us toward mutual submission. At the table we find in the story, if you look here, the dispute raises up against the disciples where they start arguing who's really the greatest. Look at that. Like they celebrate the table and then they argue as to who's better. (laughs) That gives me hope, by the way. That gives me comfort. Right? Like, good, I can wine at the table. And, and Jesus is like, no, that's not the deal. You are eating and drinking at my table because my Father's bestowing on you a kingdom. You're being given a gift of grace. The table is all grace. Instead of thinking about who reigns over others, you should think about how do I submit to my brother and sister? The table's about mutual submission. The table's the place where you and I take all that we are and we submit it to one another because we come together as one body to submit it to Christ. And that leads us to Thanksgiving. The table's about Thanksgiving. Where we give God thanks for the fact that He accepts all of us despite who we are and welcomes us into His life. I'm not worthy of the bread and the cup, yet God freely gives it to me in Jesus. The table's a place where we see striving. Where we don't have to keep straining and wrestling. 
You're not going to please God any more than you already have just by calling Him Father. You're not going to work your way into His presence. Just live aware of His presence, and the Spirit will change you in time. It's where we see striving, trying to figure out life according to life's own terms. Table's a place of one anotherness where we come together with one another, where we remember our need for one another. The table is a place where we're reminded that we need each other. I need you, and contrary to some of your own, you know, desires, you actually need me. We need each other. Our kids need each other. Our kids need you. We need our kids. We need all of us to be the people of God. There's one anotherness at this table. The Peters and the Johns and the Judases among us are welcomed at this table. Because at the end of the day, this table reminds us that God is reconciling and renewing all things. That there will come a day where we come to the table of God in glory where all the broken things of our lives have been made new and gone again. And there's no, more, there's no more striving to be had because there's nothing to strive and strain about. There's no more wars and differences to be had because there's no more wars and differences to have. Because when Jesus returns and the table is spread and we all join in that great big banquet, we do so because all things have been made new. But now, for now, this table is a symbol and a sacrament and a sign that who we are and all of our identity markers are second to who we are in Christ together. That is why a church stays together. To serve one another, to serve Christ, to serve the world, to proclaim that the way things are out there will not always be.